Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Hebrews. Temptations are not sin by themselves, by the way. We understand this, right? It's giving into temptation that becomes sin. Jesus was tempted. He just never gave in to those temptations. But because of that, he understands. So when we pray, we have one who is empathetic with us because he's touched by our infirmities. He experienced humanity, but yet he didn't succumb to sin. And so verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace. This is a great verse. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence. How incredible is it that we have Jesus, the Savior who understands our struggles. He understands what it means to be tempted because he himself was tempted in every way. The big difference is that he never gave in to temptation while we stumble in many ways. But when you bring your failures to him, he understands the struggle. Pastor Gary is going to show us this in so many other ways that Jesus is greater in today's message. This is one you don't want to miss. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. So now let's break down these verses a little bit. And I'm going to share with you six reasons why the writer of Hebrews says Jesus is a better high priest. So back up to where we started here from chapter 4 verse 14. He says, therefore, since we have a great high priest, a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Okay, that's number one. He's saying that the reason Jesus is better is because we have a high priest who's in heaven. All other priests are earthly. So we have somebody who's superior because our high priest, after he rose from the dead, ascended back into heaven. He sat down at the right hand of the Father because you sit down when your work is finished. It's accomplished. It's done. And so our high priest is in heaven. He's greater than any earthly high priest. And he goes on then to say, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Pause right there. Point number two. This is the reason our high priest is better than any earthly high priest is because our high priest is the Son of God. You can't get better than that. He's the Son of God. He's not this earthly person. He is the Son of God. And then he adds in the rest of the verse, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. You know, don't get lazy and don't get legalistic. Hold on. Keep running the race. He says, for we do not have a high priest This is verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. King James says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. I mean, our Lord is completely empathetic with our needs. He says, we we do not have one who was unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, 
yet was without sin. That's number three. Our high priest is without sin. He tells us here that the earthly high priest would have to first make atonement for their own sin because they were fallen human beings. But our high priest, Jesus, was without sin, even though, and this is the beauty of that verse, even though he was tempted in every way as we are. Doesn't that bring consolation to your heart to know that Jesus, because God took on flesh and dwelt among us and he lived our lives with us for a season, that he experienced life being fully God and fully man, and in that wonderful, mysterious combination of being fully God and fully man, he became completely acquainted with our sufferings, our sorrows, our infirmities, everything about our lives, including our temptations. Jesus was tempted in every way as we are, but he just didn't succumb to those temptations. Temptations are not sin by themselves, by the way. We understand this, right? It's giving into temptation that becomes sin. Jesus was tempted. He just never gave in to those temptations, but because of that, he understands. So when we pray, we have one who is empathetic with us because he's touched by our infirmities. He experienced humanity, but yet he didn't succumb to sin. And so verse 16, let us then approach the throne of grace. This is a great verse. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Number four, that he provides us with continual access to the throne of God. The earthly high priest didn't provide anybody access, only vicariously, and the high priest himself only had direct access in the presence of God because the Shekinah glory of God would settle on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant, and only then once a year, once a year, the high priest would go in, and he would be in the presence of God, and God's glory would fall in that little inner chamber of the Holy of Holies in the temple. But now, what the writer of Hebrews is reminding us is, A, we don't have to go through an earthly high priest. And only then the high priest could go once a year into the presence of God. B, we have Jesus as our high priest. And because he always lives eternally, he ever lives to make intercession for us, we can approach God anytime, anywhere, any place, for any reason. You don't have to wait on anything or anyone to be able to go directly to God the Father through Jesus Christ, his Son. And this is this wonderful promise to us about how we can approach the throne, and by the way, of grace. It's the throne of grace. Don't anybody feel like, well, I can't really pray to God because he's going to really be ticked off with me. It's the throne of grace. It's the throne of grace. He's a loving father who's ready to receive us. We can approach the throne of grace because he loves us and he's approachable. He's a gracious God. And we can approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Chapter 5. Every high priest is selected from among men and is, a, and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God. Okay, so this is the twofold responsibility. This is one of them, represent them in matters to God, and to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. Not, not every sacrifice was for sin. Some were thank offerings, so they were offering gifts and, at times, also sacrifices for sins. And verse 2 says, He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. It's talking about an earthly high priest. So a high priest can uh, deal gently with people because, you know, he understands his own frailties and his own uh, tendencies to sin. And he says in verse 3, this is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins, talking about the earthly high priest, as well as for the sins of the people. 
Verse 4, no one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God. Okay, so no high priest and no priest in general assumed that responsibility because they just wanted it. You are called by God, and that's how you are raised up to serve in, in ministry as a Levite or as a high priest. And by the way, this, this translates for us today. You know, sometimes people will say to me, you know, how do I become a pastor? And I'm just like, well, I can tell you steps after you feel called, but there has to be this valid calling in your heart that is affirmed by other people. And people can bear witness to that because it's God who calls. It's God who raises up. This is not just a job. This is something that one must feel a, a calling about. And, and so it is God who is the one who calls. And so no one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God, just as Aaron was. So there's the mention of Aaron, the only time that Aaron's name is mentioned here. And so verse, verse 5, So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. You know, he, this, this is something that God the Father Next verse, but God said to him, you are my son, today I have become your father. Now, this verse becomes a bit challenging to interpret, and the Mormon church has interpreted it this way. In their doctrine, it reads this, Christ was begotten by an immortal father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. That's not what this verse means. Uh, the writer of Hebrews is quoting from Psalm chapter 2, verse 7. And what, what he's simply saying here is, is that it was God's design that he should choose Jesus to be the high priest for the people. That Jesus would be the one to stand in the gap between a holy God and sinful humanity. So only in that sense has he been begotten. Jesus is God. Jesus has always existed, being co-eternal and coexisting with God, being co-equal with God because he is God. So this verse does not mean that one day God the Father just decided, I'm going to create Jesus. Jesus has always existed with God, being God himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One God revealed in three persons, without contradiction, co-equal, co-eternal, And so this verse just is simply talking about how Jesus is not a part of the Aaronic line of priests. He's not a descendant of Aaron. He is of a completely different royal priesthood because he is the one who is selected and chosen by God to be the one to stand in the gap between God and man. And so Christ was called Christ assumed that role as part of the Godhead to be the one to stand in the gap and to die for our sins. And he goes on to quote another psalm from Psalm 110. And he says in another place, which I love about the writer of Hebrews, like, yeah, I'm not sure where that is in the Bible, but somewhere in another place, it's Psalm 110, verse 4. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. So circle the word forever because that's number five on our list, that Jesus has an eternal priesthood. There's not any other priesthood today. There's just not. You do not have to go through another human being to get to God. I I understand that our Catholic friends believe that, but with all gentleness and respect, that is just not biblical. It is a complete violation 
of our access to God through Jesus by saying to someone that you have to go through a representative of Christ who intercedes for you and prays for you and exonerates you from sin. That is just not biblical. And it is, it is a complete contradiction of Scripture. You do not have to go through another person. Jesus Christ is the priest forever. So every priestly system has been replaced and fulfilled in only the one who can stand in the gap between God and man, and that's Jesus Christ. Everybody understand this, right? He has an eternal priesthood, and that has replaced all other human forms of the priesthood. You do not have to go through a priest. You do not have to go through a pastor. You do not have to go through another person. I, I hope I'm making this clear. Are we all understanding this, right? So this, this is completely freeing to us, that we can approach the throne of grace with confidence because of what Christ has done for us. Now, he adds here a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Circle that guy's name. This is a very interesting guy, and we're going to talk more about him in the in the chapters to come, there are a total of 10 references in all of the Bible to Melchizedek. A total of 10. Two references are in your Old Testament. In Genesis 14 and in Psalm 110. The other eight references to make up a total of 10 are found here in the book of Hebrews. He's a fascinating guy. He appears in Genesis 14 first to Abraham And then David will write about him a thousand years later in Psalm 110. And then he's written about again a thousand years later here in Hebrews. A very interesting person. And so we'll talk about him more because in the chapters to come here, in chapter 7 and 8, he's talked about more extensively. So I'm not going to spend too much time on Melchizedek, only to say this, that the writer of Hebrews is going to make an important point here. Because as he establishes the fact that Jesus is our high priest There's a mental block here for the Jewish people. What was the tribe from which the high priest came? What was the tribe? Levi. Jesus was not from the tribe of Levi. Jesus, as a Jew, was of the tribe of Judah. So now to the Jews who are hearing this, like, we got a problem. Because all the high priests come from the tribe of Levi. And Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. So the writer of Hebrews says, yeah, yeah, I know. But Jesus is of a priestly order that predates the Levitical line. And he calls on Melchizedek as the reference point to this priestly order. And so what he's going to say here, the point he's making is that Jesus is superior to the high priest because God has ordained him. And he doesn't fit within the line of Aaron because he's of a greater, higher, more superior priestly king line. So that's the point that he's going to make in the chapters that follow. And so just kind of tuck Melchizedek away for a moment, because there's a lot of controversy about exactly who was Melchizedek. I'll give give you my opinion when we get there, not that it's going to matter much, but I will tell you what, what I believe who Melchizedek really is. His name in Hebrew is a combination of two words, Melech, Zedek. Melech means king, Zedek means righteousness. So his name itself means king of righteousness. It's a little clue about the identity of Melchizedek. But anyway, we keep reading through the end of the chapter. So during the days of Jesus' life on earth, is verse 7, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries 
and tears to the one who could save him from death. Isn't that interesting? Loud cries and tears. You know, there are two times in the Gospels where, it, where it's recorded that Jesus wept. One, of course, the most familiar is in John chapter 11 when Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. The other time that Jesus wept is when in Luke chapter 19 when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and he stops and he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. He says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, oh, that I would have gathered you under my, unto myself as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And he weeps for, for his own people. The only two times in the Gospels that Jesus wept. But we know that he wept a lot more than that because of what the writer of Hebrews says right here. He says there are many times that Jesus, with loud cries and tears, just poured out his heart to the Father. And he prayed to the one who could save him from death. Because Jesus, remember, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when he's under this excruciating agony of, of the, the cross before him, knowing what was in front of him, and he's perspiring, Luke records, he's perspiring droplets of blood, hematidrosis, this medical condition when you get under such excruciating agony that capillaries in your, in your forehead begin to break and burst and mingle with the perspiration. And so he's perspiring droplets of blood. He's under such intense anguish at the thought of the cross. And so he's pleading, he's interceding with the Father. If there's any other way that this can be accomplished, let it be. But nevertheless, your will be done and not mine. So the writer of Hebrews is referencing that. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, verse 8, he learned obedience from what he suffered. Notice that. He learned obedience from what he suffered. Somebody once said, knowledge comes from a teacher, but wisdom comes from suffering. And he learned obedience from his suffering. And once made perfect... Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus was imperfect and then he had to be made perfect. All that simply means is once complete, it's, it's the idea of completion. That's the idea behind perfection here. Once his work was complete on the cross, then he became, therefore, the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's point number six and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. So why is Jesus a superior high priest? Because the high priests on earth could not provide salvation for people. They could only provide temporary atonement by appeasing God's wrath through the blood of an animal. But because Jesus is our high priest, he goes to the cross, he dies for our sins, and he accomplishes for us eternal salvation if we obey him, if we believe in him, and therefore he's designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. There's that guy's name again. Four, verse 11, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. You're slow to learn. You're a little dull. And he says, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. So he's going to kind of you know, he's going to get up in their grill a little bit here at the end of this chapter. He's basically saying, you guys are spiritually immature. You should be beyond this stuff. I, I, I shouldn't have to be repeating myself about some of the elementary truths of, of doctrine. And, and he says, you know, you need milk, not solid food. He says in verse 13, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness, but solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. So in the, in the closing uh, verses of this chapter, he's going to basically be saying, you guys are spiritually immature. You should be way beyond this by now. I'm telling you some things that you should know. 
But the fact is, you don't know these things because you have not, it's not that the scriptures weren't available to them, it's that they had not availed themselves of the scriptures. And, and that they needed to become mature by getting into the scriptures and understanding truth and doctrine. The writer of Hebrews is like, I, sh- I shouldn't be having to tell you these things. You, you're, you're, like, you're like babies. You're like on milk. You st- you're still on the bottle. You should be teaching people. You shouldn't be needing to be taught. You should be teachers. Now, you know, listen, when you're a baby, a bottle's fine. You know, I got two little grandbabies now, and so, and so one's still on a bottle. The other one is not on anymore, but, you know, it's cute. When, when a little baby is a baby, the bottle's cute. You know, when you, when you put them down in the little crib and, you know, you give them a little bottle, put them down in their crib. Maybe they need their little passy and their blankie. You got them all in a nice dry diaper. You say goodnight, sing them a little lullaby, pat them on the head, and, and off you go. And that's cute when they're six months. But if they're 16 and you go into their room and they're still sleeping in a crib with a passing a blankie and they're wearing a diaper, we got a problem. And so the picture is that would be unnatural for, you know, someone who's older to still be wearing a diaper and, and sucking on a passy and needing a blankie and laying in a crib. And so why is it that we accept that some people in their faith are content to just still be on a passy in a bottle? Listen, some of you folks have been coming to church for years and you just don't know the basics of doctrine. And it's not because it hasn't been made available to you. It's because you haven't availed yourself of God's word. I appreciate that you come and you know you're part of studying Wednesday nights, you come on Sundays, and but sometimes it's amazing how little people know, even after they have heard teaching and been a part of a church somewhere, and I'm not just I'm not just picking on us, I'm just saying, you know, in general, the tragedy is that Christians in general can be hearing teaching over and over again, and if they're not applying it and obeying it, they're like little babies still in a bottle. And we need, to be on, we need to be beyond that. We need to be more mature in our faith. And we need to really get into God's Word and, and grow in the faith and knowledge of Jesus Christ because he says the mature, the mature, the last verse, solid food is for the mature who by constant use, this is not a Wednesday night or Sunday night, this is a constant use, have trained themselves. You know that word trained in the Greek is gumnazo we get our English word gymnasium. A lot of people are all concerned about staying fit physically. You got your membership at the gymnazo? Mm-hmm. But how much are we training ourselves spiritually to be strengthened in our faith so that we might be able to, what's one of the benefits? Distinguish good from evil. You know why people don't understand right from wrong? Because they've not really trained themselves in the scriptures to become mature. So I say it in love, but for all of us, can, can we at least you know, recognize that we need to be strong in the faith and we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can't just you know, warm a seed at church and, and think that we're going to be able to discern good from evil. We have to train ourselves through constant use and grow in the knowledge of Scripture, that we might know the heart of God, that we might understand His purpose and His will and His desire and His commands. And the beauty of all this is that we have a high priest greater than any earthly person who intercedes on our behalf so we can pray to Him and we can pour out our hearts to Him 
and He intercedes for us. The book of Hebrews encourages its readers to stop relying on what they can do to be saved, known as living by the law. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus. Jesus came to earth and perfectly lived out His life, never wavering from the law and always showing love and kindness. He was perfect and was also the perfect sacrifice for sin. He obediently died in your place so that you wouldn't need to face the punishment your sins deserve. And all you need to do is accept it. Are you ready to take this step of faith? Jesus is ready and waiting for you to step away from your old life with loving arms wide open. If you're making a decision for your Savior today, please let us know. You can send an email to prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. We'd like to encourage you to find a Bible-teaching church in your area right away. It will be a place where you can grow and learn and find the support of community, of family. You're now part of a family of faith, after all. If you happen to be in the Leesburg area, consider yourself invited to Cornerstone Chapel. We meet weekly for worship and fellowship after studying the Bible together. You'll be able to get more information at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know